On today's episode of the Keto Camp Podcast, we discuss the insula thin diet with Dr. Mike Rego. Like during this is the Whitehall test for 14 years, the 38,000, 36,000 people that he studied that were still getting sick. They were coming down with diabetes. They were becoming obese. They had anxiety, depression, they had PCOS, they had erectile dysfunction, but their sugars were normal. Hello? So who's causing the disaster? Wait, it's the hyperinsulin. Again, that's why somebody should write a book. <laughs> Somebody should get a hold of this guy because it's just not fair. Again, I'm checking car tile pressure and saying you're, it's fine because that's your sugar, but your engine is shot. You can't drive another mile in it because your engine is, is, is kaput. We have access to ancient healing strategies such as ketosis, fasting, and carnivore. And on the Keto Camp Podcast, we are determined to deliver the science to you. We bring in the thought leaders in this space to have extraordinary conversations so you could apply it and change your life. Your body was built to thrive. Your body is capable of healing as long as you identify the interference and remove it. I believe you are a masterpiece because you are a piece of the master. My name is Ben Azadi. I'm the best-selling author of Keto Flex, and I want to thank you for spending part of your day with me. Hey, Keto Camper, Ben Azadi here, the host of the Keto Camp Podcast. You can learn more about me over at benazadi.com. Today, we have Dr. Mike Grego, who has a book called The Insula Thin Diet. We are going to get a masterclass on insulin and how insulin works inside of the body. We're also going to understand his approach that he uses to help individuals with insulin resistance and type 2 diabetes to reverse their conditions for good. He loves keto. He loves carnivore. He loves fasting. And this man is super smart with a ton of experience. I'm talking about over 30 years and over 15,000 patients. So we're going to extract all of the golden nuggets from his research, his experience. We're going to learn about his 90-day reversing diabetes program, some products he uses, and so much more. We'll discuss carnivore and some of the issues with too much meat. And he's not a fan of long-term carnivore. I'm not either. We'll discuss measuring nitrogen and the acidity part of a carnivore diet and measuring sulfur and phosphorus if you're doing something like carnivore, why it's important to include fiber and fat and fasting for insulin resistance and type 2 diabetes, the three apps, fiber, fat, and fasting. He's a big fan of different approaches to get the body a little bit more alkaline. He's also a big fan of Dr. Joseph Kraft's research and the Kraft test which is more advanced than, than a simple fasting insulin. Like I love a fasting insulin test. This one is much better. He'll explain how it works and why it's more accurate. He'll explain why the study, the Whitehall study shows on average, it takes 14 years to develop diabetes, even though you're developing insulin resistance year after year, which is crazy. We'll explain why diabetes leads to vision loss, erectile dysfunction, neuropathy, weight gain, and why doctors are only treating the symptoms. 
and so much more. I love today's conversation. It's speaking my language. If you want to learn more about Dr. Mike Grego, his courses, his products, we have a link down below for you to learn more about that. Before I bring on Dr. Mike for an amazing conversation, let's get into today's Apple Podcast rating and review of the day. This is a five-star review from Film, B-M-L-L-N, titled Great Info. I have been so impressed with the content provided. I just ordered Keto Flex. Looking forward to having you by my side on my journey to health. I am very grateful you're listening and got the book Keto Flex. I am excited to be by your side, guiding you and showing you the way towards perfect health. So thank you so much for listening and for getting my book. If you haven't uh, gotten my book yet, uh, Keto Flex, it is available on paperback and Audible and Kindle. You could find all of those versions of the book over at ketoflexbook.com. If you have not left the show a rating or a review as of yet, please do so. It really makes a big difference. And maybe I'll read your review on the next episode. I announced recently that we are hosting a five-day keto virtual event. It is 100% free. How would you like to learn from me? and the Keto Camp team all about keto, carnivore, fasting, keto flexing. This is a PhD in metabolic health within five days. We live stream every day for two hours, five days in a row, where you get to learn, apply some of the principles, ask questions. It's going to be life-changing. This is our five-day keto kickstart challenge. And we have sponsors for this challenge that are giving away over $20,000 in free prizes. Some of the prizes that you could win are six months worth of coffee for free from Purity Coffee, a bundle of Paleo Valley products, a bundle of Redmond's Real Salt Electrolyte products, a bundle of Pure Form Plant-Based Omegas. We're giving away five Keto Mojo devices. We're giving away boxes of Kinetic Exogenous Ketones. We're giving away Dr. Ben Bickman's Health Coach Shakes, and we're giving away one-year free membership to our signature course, the Keto Camp Academy. All of that is valued at over $20,000. That is right. We're giving away over $20,000 in free giveaways. All you need to do to qualify for the giveaways and to learn from us for five days is to go over to ketocampchallenge.com or click the link in the podcast notes down below Put your name, put your email, register for free, and join us when we start on October 2nd, which is Monday, October 2nd, and it's going to run all the way through October 6th. So Monday to Friday, we go live every day, same time, same place. I would love to have you there. This is great for beginners. This is great for those who have been doing this for years and want the science. We're going to cover it all. Learn from me. Coach Becky, Coach John, Coach Alina from the Keto Camp team, and some other special guests. I'm so excited for this. So join us over at ketocampchallenge.com. I'll see you there. Okay, let's get into today's awesome conversation with Dr. Mike Grego. Dr. Mike Grego is a chiropractor and naturopathic doctor who has helped over 15,000 patients reach their health and wellness goals. He has his latest book called The Insula Thin Diet, which we're going to talk a lot about. And he specializes in an insulin calculator and reversing conditions such as insulin resistance and type 2 diabetes, metabolic syndrome. Here is Dr. Mike Grego. 
Dr. Mike Grego, you just told me you stay ready so you don't have to get ready. Well, welcome to the Keto Camp Podcast. Thanks for being ready, brother. Uh, thank you, Ben. I'm happy to be here. Really excited, for real. We were just chatting a little bit about what we're going to cover today. And um, for those listening and watching, grab a pen and paper, take notes. This is going to be a life-changing conversation. I really believe it. And credit to our mutual friend, Jason Payne, who connected us. We're grateful for you, Jason. Doc, you have 30 plus years of experience. um, And we're going to focus the conversation on insulin glucose, insulin resistance, and diabetes. But before we even get there and talk about your book, How did you even get involved uh, in the health space? What's the story? What were some of the things that came along the way that you had to learn, unlearn, and relearn? What's the backstory, bro? Wow. Well, um, actually started with my grandfather. When I was about nine years old, nine, 10, my mother took me over there and said, you know, your grandfather, he's got a farm. He wants you to help. You need some help. So it was a regenerative organic farm. Of course, we didn't call it that. We just called it hard work. He <laughs> brought the pitchfork at me and said, turn that compost pile. And I was like, compost what? So, uh, you know, compost pile, He grew. Uh, we grew cover crops like soy, get on the tractor, drive it back into the soil. Wow, we, we delivered produce to the lo- local and the commercial stores around the area. So we got up real early, three o'clock in the morning, had to load a hundred watermelons, water, you know, 50 pound boxes of bananas and all that and just get it. So I was TC Fry, Herbert Walker, Walker, Norman, Norman, Norman Walker rather. Uh, and um, I, I got that at a very early, early age. So I was, I was like that. Then I went to school, went to chiropractic school first, then I went to naturopathic school. Then I got certified in functional neurology. So I went to neuropathy clinic. And then I came back home. You know, we wrote two books on keto, the nutritional ketogenic diet, and then clean keto versus dirty keto. And then eventually got over to insulin. And so that's kind of been my journey. I love it. So you're you're a big fan of keto. I know uh, that you are. I knew that because hey, insulin friendly diet, ketogenic diet. And you're right. There's a difference between clean keto and dirty keto. Let's let's talk a little bit about this epidemic that we see out there of metabolic inflexibility. There are studies suggesting that 88% of American adults have some variation of insulin resistance and diabetes. Other studies suggest 93% have some sort of uh, metabolic uh, syndrome going on. So the majority of every adult American have a problem here. And Harvard is predicting by the year 2030, 50% of American adults will be obese so what is the actual root cause here when it comes to the metabolic syndrome we're seeing? Why, why do we see this problem, Doc? Why do we see this? Well, I think the focus has been misfocused on calories and sugar in particular. So I always like to ask people to kind of get them refocused very quickly. If you were to eat 1,000 calories of donuts, for example, of course, you would go up in weight. But if you ate 1,000 calories of avocado, you would go down in weight on the same thousand. So what's really going on? Turns out calories don't have a GPS. So when we eat them and they get inside our body, they don't know where to go or what to do until a certain somebody tells them. And of course, that's somebody being insulin. If insulin is elevated or up, you're going to store those calories. If it's lower, you can use those calories for energy. So I think it's been our focus on calories instead of insulin. Great explanation of the not having a GPS. The insulin will direct it, right? So you're right. Somebody eats a thousand calories of donuts, probably going to gain weight. They're not going to have ideal energy levels. You do that with avocados. It might even be hard to do with avocados because it's so satiating versus the donuts. But you have better energy levels. You're going to burn fat. Insulin, I think, has a really bad 
PR team. <laughs> I say that because insulin could be very important in the right amount uh, for the healthy individual, but for most people, that insulin is called all the time, and that insulin is a bully. It's a nutrient sensor, and it's creating a lot of these issues we're seeing, insulin resistance, and then eventually type 2 diabetes. Let's talk about insulin resistance first, Doc, and why eating a high-carbohydrate diet and eating frequently creates this hyperinsulinemia, and then how long does it take until the average person gets diagnosed with diabetes? Meanwhile, this problem is happening year after year. Sure, sure, absolutely. I think I want to, if we can back up for just a second, because I want to finish that about insulin too, being excessive in particular. When insulin particularly spikes, what we found in practice over 15%, and so we found that that's where everything goes awry as far as mTOR is concerned. Particularly mTOR is the mammalian target of rhabdomycin. You talked about it, Ben, you said it's a nutrient sensing pathway. That is the particular pathway that gets sets off when insulin becomes elevated. At that point, your cells eat more. And when a cell eats more, then it poops more. Remember, whatever eats poops, right? And when we go to the bathroom, therein lies some of the problem because of the lymphatic system. Remember, our cells are sitting in two fluids. One is blood. That's about 20% of the fluid. 80% is in the lymph. That's interstitial fluid. So you can kind of look at it like um, toilet bowl water, if you would like to, and say because that's literally what it is. And so when the cell eats, it goes to the bathroom in the water, in the interstitial fluid. And at that point, if there's an overabundance of cellular metabolic waste, then we get interstitial stagnation, at which point metabolic acidosis and then metabolic syndrome, what we understand. And those terms, metabolic syndrome, insulin resistance, and hyperinsulinemia are all three the same, right, when we look at it. And so when we talk about that from a cellular point, then coming and we turn it our direction at diabetes, then especially we're talking about type 2 here, right, type 2. So when the cell gets satiated, when it gets full, when it reaches max maximum capacity, we call it supersaturation of glucose intracellularly. When that happens, our insulin is refractory. It's no longer able to push glucose into the cell. It's not that it doesn't want to, it just can't, right? It just can't push it in. And so everybody looks to insulin and says, hey, well, you need a little help. You need some metformin, you need some Jardians, you need some Mongero, you need a glimperide, you, glim glimperazide, you need a DDP4, SGLV2s, you need something because you're not working. Uh, the reality is it would be working if it could work. In fact, there's a syndrome out there now. They call it Don syndrome. Are you familiar yeah, with that? Don phenomenon, yep. Don phenomenon, right? So when you take the glucose at night, it's kind of normal. Uh, you get up in the morning and it's high. Everybody, and you didn't eat anything. Of course, you didn't cheat and get up in the middle of the night. So where did that sugar come from? It's your cells dumping. Your cells are emptying glucose. Hello? Is that a syndrome? Is that a phenomenon? Is that something that should be rectified or should we work with it? Should we intermittent fast? Should we get into our fat cells and our adipocytes to allow that dumping to continue? And of course, the answer is to allow the dumping to continue. Let the glucose come out of the cell so it can resensitize the insulin. It makes so much sense to me. You know, you mentioned insulin. I think you said when it spikes over 15%, you get an elevation of mTOR. Is that what you said? That's right. So carbohydrates will do that. Protein and fat won't, correct? Or it depends maybe on how much protein you have. But is car are carbohydrates the only macronutrient that would do that? 
No, they are not. Just like you said, you started to say protein can if there's too much protein because all protein breaks down to amino acids and amino acids make sugar gluconeogenesis, right? Out of the liver. So, yeah, so it depends on how much protein in a, in a how sitting. How much protein you take. Do you have a recommendation? What do you recommend, Ben, to, to your people? I'm curious. Well, you know, uh, and a few years ago, I was very, I wouldn't say anti-protein, but I was fat-focused and more low to moderate protein. Uh, and I'm still like that for those who are brand new to keto. Uh, we're focused on fat and we do moderate to low protein. But once I get them fat adapted, then I bring the fat down and increase the dietary protein uh, to get uh, 30 to 40 grams at each of their meals of protein. I have seen though, uh, to your point, when they go over 80 grams or 90 grams of protein in a meal, it creates enough glucose via gluconeogenesis to raise glucose and drop ketones. So a good sweet spot, 40 to 60 grams of protein at a meal. That's what I teach, but I'm curious, what, what about you? What are, what are your thoughts on that? Okay. Well, I'm glad I asked you first because the deal is with proteins, I go a little more fundamental. I look at, okay, if I'm looking at a protein, that's a complex amino acid. So my body has to break it down uh, to amino acids so I can reconstruct it into a protein that I can use, the DNA, collagen, connective tissue, muscle, whatever. The, the point is, before I go into that too much further though, this I think this is a super important point for humans, and that is not to drink when we eat. And I wanna break that down, not only does it dilute the hydrochloric acid, but when you look in terms of proteins being able to be digested, the hydrochloric acid has to stay around a pH of two in order for pepsinogen to be released from the globulet cells and the parietal cells. And then that pepsinogen turns into pepsin, and therefore it can take the proteins down to the peptides and then eventually the amino acids. So that's important because if we drink anything, of course, it's going to be over a pH of two. It's going to dilute that hydrochloric acid. It's not going to maintain the 2-pH, and we're not going to get the pepsinogen out for the pepsin. And then even though the pancreatic enzymes themselves, they'll all be diluted as well. A lot of people have gastroparesis, right, or delayed emptying of the stomach. And I can only help being an innate, I believe in the body's marvelously and miraculously created to heal itself innately, right? So if it's if my juices aren't empty, if my stomach's not emptying, why? Is there a reason? Perhaps that the food hasn't been digested properly. Perhaps we, we shouldn't drink when we eat and dilute that whole process. I'm with you. I, 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 I rarely drink uh, when I'm eating. I, I, so what are your recommendation? An hour away from a meal, 30 minutes away? from What's a good rule of thumb for you? Well, that depends on the type of drink, i.e. like if it's an alkaline water that has been microclustered, there isn't a lot of hydrogen molecules that need to be separated. Like normal water is very hydrophilic. It's self-hydrophilic. It likes hanging around with other water molecules, about 100. So we have to break those hydrogen bonds down to about 99. So it's just one water molecule because the aquaporin, inside of a cell, there's a channel called an aquaporin. And that's about four angstroms. No, it's three angstroms big. And a single water molecule is 2.86 angstroms. So how many water molecules can fit into the cell at a time, right? So we have to break down those bonds. So um, I tell people to do a simple test as far as what you're drinking, if it's water, for example. Then you drink some water and you do the hula hoop test. 
right? You just kind of hula hooper. I mean, I'm aging myself, but, uh, but back when I was when I was a kid, we had hula hoops, and we did this little dance that you kind of whirled around. And if you feel sloshing in there, that means the majority of the water is on your cell and not in your cell. And of course, where do we need to be hydrated? In the cell. In yeah, the cell, that's right? interesting. So if it's inside the cell, there won't be any sloshing, not even immediately. So I use a, a particular ionized water. Um, I do drink bottled water like I have here like to make water, but Evian. But again, you know, the BPAs, the phthalates to see through the plastic to make it soft. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a game changer for the hormones because all those things are just hormone disruptors, right? Endocrine disruptors. Yeah, yeah. I think that's why we see demasculization, if I can say that without getting in trouble. In our society today, and women, the PCOS and our infertility issues, erectile dysfunction, all those things, believe it or not, plastic's a big part. So um, to get a good ionizer that has pre-filters, I think is imperative. And we're getting on this subject a little bit. I think it's a good good subject to talk about. It's a very important. I'm with you. I think in this day and age, more than nutrition, it's these forever chemicals, these these toxins, these environmental pollutants that are everywhere, right? I have my glass, I, and I get Mountain Valley delivered to me in glass, but I also have a machine that uh, makes hydrogen water, right? So uh, it's it's filtered hydrogen water. So I'm making sure I rarely drink through plastic bottles unless I'm traveling and I can't really get glass, but you're right. Hey, when was the last time you bit into a juicy burger or a perfectly cooked steak and thought to yourself, this is the best thing I've ever tasted. If it's been a while, it's probably because most meat products are conventionally raised, which not only affects the flavor profile, but significantly diminishes the beneficial nutrients and minerals. And believe it or not, even products that are labeled as grass-fed or ethically raised to make you think they're high quality, are often finished on grain or in factory farms, which is why I am so excited to share something with you today that will not only help you avoid the hormones, antibiotics, and pesticide residues that diminish the taste of conventionally raised meat, but could also save you nearly $1,000 over the next year on your grocery bill. And the best part, this may be the best tasting thing you've had in a long time. So what the heck am I talking about? I'm talking about Wild Pastures Meat Delivery. They provide the highest quality meats from small, regenerative, family-run farms here in the United States that prioritize sustainability and animal welfare. Their beef is 100% grass-fed. Their pork and poultry are pasture-raised, something you won't find anywhere in the grocery store, resulting in meats that are not only healthier for you, but also better for the environment. One of the reasons why me and my fiance Natasha loves wild pastures is that we can opt out out of supporting harmful conventional farming practices and instead support small family-run farms without spending a fortune. And the convenience doesn't stop there. They offer delivery straight to your door so you can enjoy delicious, high-quality meats without even leaving your house. No matter where you are in the lower 48 states, Wild Pastures has got you covered. Not only is this the most convenient way to get your meat products, but wild pasture meats are better for you nutritionally, and they're higher in the total nutrients, phytonutrients, antioxidants, key fatty acids, vitamins, minerals, proteins, and amino acids. And today, for keto campers, for a limited time, you can get 20% off every box plus free shipping for life and... $15 off your first box. This is a crazy deal, and I hope you take advantage of it. So make the switch to Wild Pastures today 
and save nearly $1,000 on your grocery bill while feeling healthier and enjoying the best tasting meats of your life. All you need to do is go to the link in the podcast notes down below. Everything is already applied. All you got to do is click that link, customize your order, and you'll have some delicious, healthy tasting meats very soon. Head to the podcast notes down below, click the link, enjoy your wild pastures. Okay, let's get right back to this episode. Here's the tough part about like tap water, for example. When I go to restaurants, they're going to give you water and it's usually tap water. I'm not going to drink tap water because there's a whole bunch of crap in there. But even people that I are colleagues of mine, like health educators and speakers, I go to dinner with them, they're drinking the tap water. And I'm wondering, like, don't they know that there's feminizing hormones in the tap water? There's birth control. There's lead. There's- Every hospital drug that's outdated gets flushed down the commode still. It's sick. You can look at the FDA hospital flush list. I thought it was a small list. There's thousands of drugs in that list. F- I, don't even, I don't even know about that. FDA hospital flush list. Okay, we got to everybody look that up. But here's the problem. I think that they drink it, but there's not an immediate negative feedback. So that's what they, you know, it, if I were to like have a test, let's say I had a device that showed, okay, when you drink this tap water or do this bad behavior, this hormone drops or this feminizing hormone, you actually see it with real-time feedback. They wouldn't drink the water because they see that feedback, right? So how do we accomplish the message when there's no immediate feedback? It's a very challenging thing to do, I think. Wow, that's a powerful question. How do we, well, it's pain pleasure, right? We gotta go down to NLP, Anthony Robbins, because pain pleasure, there's just gotta be enough pain. So. How can we make it painful enough for them to know that hospital drugs get flushed down, herbicides, pesticides, insecticides, glycophosphate, Roundup is everywhere. If you're not using it, your next door neighbor is. That's mitochondria poison right there. 100% rewrites the DNA, right? So uh, uh, yeah, that's, it's, it's horrendous. I look at it like, and I look at the kidneys, I guess. I guess one thing I would look at, if my kidneys we're not filtering correctly. And this is going to surprise people because we're all taught, or I was taught in, in school, that urine was supposed to be clear, right? Uh, negative. Urine's supposed to be cloudy. In fact, I happen to have, because I just came off alive, I happen to have some urine from this morning. This is cloudy. This is my urine. Can't see through it. And you see, this is cellular metabolic waste. This is cellular poop. This is what cell poop looks like. That's pretty dark. Your urine yeah, is. is pretty dark. It is very dark. Now, I came off this was a, a one-day dry fast. Okay. I was going to say, there's some dehydration there. There is, but, but okay. there's cloudiness nonetheless. The more Got important, it. not so much the color, but the cloudiness. The cloudiness. You can't see okay. through, right? so you can't see my face through, through this, so it's cloudy. Are you drinking your urine? Are you doing urine therapy? No, I, I want to drink this. This is <laughs> metabolic waste. This is acid. This is toxic, hypoxic, uh, acidic lymph right? That's coming out. And, and my point is, just like if a baby pooped in, in the diaper and it was clear, it was see-through, we want to call some people over and say, look how cool that is. But in reality, <laughs> we're missing toxemia. We're missing all the bad things coming out, right, in, into that fecal matter. And so same thing with the kidneys. They are filtration plants and they should uh, percolate. I, I got to give props out to Robert Morris. He's my guru. I say. He's my mentor. And he's the first one to find, find that out. And, um, Wow, he should have won the Nobel Prize just for that because urine is, again, that's how, you know, you eat, we eat macro foods, right? We eat fats, we eat proteins, we do keto, and it breaks down our stomach, comes down through the pyloric sphincter into the duodenum and then right out through the colon. And that's the macro 
right, coming out in feces, but the micro also eats as well. The cells eat as well. It's just like, again, you get up and go to the bathroom. They sit in the bathroom. Again, the interstitial fluid is their bathroom. And when they poop, if it doesn't come out, if it's clear, if it's see-through, it's a, if it's transparent, you, if your urine's clear, you're in trouble. That's what I, that's what I tell my patients. That makes clients. sense. Yeah. Got to have cloudy urine. Okay. So maybe we should kind of head back over to insulin. <laughs> yeah. Gotta, well, um, before we get back to insulin, I want to talk about, you just said you just completed a 24-hour dry fast. Is that what you said? Right. How often do you do those dry fasts? And what's the longest you've gone? The longest I've gone is two and a half days. Two and a half dry days. Dry fasting. Dry fasting, yep. Hard dry fast or soft dry fast? I mean, this is no water, no nothing, no food. No washing your hands, no showering or anything. Right, no. So that's, that's considered more of like, a, that's impressive, hard dry fast. Yes. Yes. Why do you do it? Do you do it because of the more autophagy? Just you know, let your innate intelligence do its thing. Well, absolutely. Obviously, that autophagy, apoptosis. Um, we can't forget the 2016 Nobel Prize winner. Yeah. Some doctors today don't even realize that's not important. Only yeast. Someone doctor, uh, some medical doctor told me only yeast uh, do autophagy or something. And I was like, what? What are you talking about? Yeast. Anyhow, he doesn't even know the 2016. You know, I can't pronounce <laughs> the name. The Japanese scientist that won the Nobel Prize for autophagy. My point is, uh, though it's super important, the only way to get it is in the fastest state. I did it because my lymph, my left side here, my left kidney was backing up and my lymph node was swollen a little bit. And I thought, that's not okay. So uh, I got right into the dry fast and then boom, you know, here we go. <laughs> Cellular metabolic waste uh, come in. Did you break it already? Mm-hmm. Yes, I did. Okay. Okay. Awesome. I love that. I- I've done... Never done two and a half days of dry fasting. I've done 24 hours, maybe a little bit longer, uh, five-day water fast, looking at glucose and ketones. But I'm curious to maybe push myself a little bit more for a dry fast during a, a time where I'm more like rest, recovery, um, and not as active. I think that would be a cool thing to do. Well, you'd be surprised the energy level stayed. I stayed up. It stayed high. Yeah, yeah 100%. I was yeah. one. Yeah, right. Amazing human body. Okay, now we can go back to insulin. Okay. How many years does it take of this process of insulin just being produced by the beta cells over and over and over until those 14 years, blood, 14 years until the blood sugars change and you're diagnosed? Okay. 14 years. Whitehall study, 38,000 people, 14 year study. And the sad part, if I can say, is those in the process were getting pats on the back, right? Hey, your sugar's good, your sugar's fine. You're okay, but I'm gaining weight, but your sugar's fine, but I'm erectile dysfunction. Your sugar's fine, but I've got heart disease, but I've got cancer. Your sugar's fine, but I'm anxiety, depression. Your sugar's okay. It's like, well, but nobody checked again, and this is maybe a good time to bring up Dr. Joseph Kraft's work, 14,683 yes. blood glucose with insulin. That's the key, with insulin, not just sugar. Everybody said, well, that's just, it kills me when the patients come to me or clients say, well, my doctor's checking my insulin. Really, you've been in the office for five hours? Oh, I was never in the office for five hours. Well, the only way to check a proper insulin to do it properly is a five-hour test. You take a baseline, you drink 75 grams of glucose, and then you test it basically every hour after that to see that it goes up, and then it comes back down. But in Joseph Kraft's work with 14,683 cases, he found 84% of the time there was compensatory hyperinsulinemia going on. So the beta cells, the islands of Langerhans producing a little bit more insulin every year to keep those sugars within the A1Cs within normal limits, right? And yet 
every kind of condition, chronic degenerative condition that you could name was happening to these people. And it happens still today. You talked about the 88% and uh, was a journal of, uh, no, the College of Cardiology. Uh, clinical cardiology came out with the uh, latest study was 93.2% of adults. That is a lot of people. That's almost 100%. I mean, we're going to wait for 100% till we actually do something about this? I mean, it's so crazy. And then the Diabetic Association does not measure insulin, even though it's the most metabolically active and most important, you can make an argument, a huge argument, no pun intended, but if you want muscles, it's insulin. If you wanna get rid of fat, it's insulin. If you wanna make a body composition correctly, it's insulin. And yet they, you know, look at your sugar. Well, my GTT is this, my fasting sugar is this. And if they take insulin, it's fasting. Okay, when does insulin hurt you? When you're fasting or when you're eating? Okay. So that's why I came up with the calculator. Uh, if it's a good time to pull up the book, if that's okay. Yeah, please share it. Your book is called The Insula Thin Diet. Look at it right there. Thin Diet, 300-page book with cookbook, with cookbook in there, with insulin numbers, insulin numbers at the top, not awesome. carbs, not fat, no fat, but fat, fat's super important because this is still leaning towards keto. Of course, how we mitigate it, fiber, fat, and fasting we call it the three F's. So inside the book, we have a calculator. It's a web-based calculator. And you can actually throw in your macros, your fats, your proteins, and it'll come up with an insulin rise. It's based off the food insulin index. And I hired a guy from MIT because I'm not smart enough to do it myself. He created an algorithm and uh, we made a calculator. And this is how we can find it. Because after the fact is after the fact, if everybody's taking tests for insulin, if they are, they should. But you can't go into your doctor's office for five hours. And sit down there and well, my insulin's too high now. Well, it's it's gone. You know the the effects have happened. Yeah, so we we want to calculate insulin before before we eat our next meal. Brilliant idea. So the book has that calculator. When they get the book, they could learn how to use it, and then they could identify. Absolutely, there's a video inside there and everything. Awesome. To show them how to use it. As a matter of fact, there's 37 videos in this book, tutorial videos in the book as well. Oh, that's the eat. Where where can they get the book? Where's the best place for them to get it? It's on Amazon, and it's also available at the stand.store slash Dr. Grego. I want to put that in the notes down below. It's called The Insula Thin Diet, The Lazy Way to Lose Weight. I love it. What are, you, what are your thoughts on a continuous glucose monitor for looking at postprandial glucose to see what's happening with your insulin levels? If you're not one of the 84% that has compensatory hyperinsulinemia, then I think it's great. If you don't know... Get to your doctor's office, get the five-hour test. It's the only way you're going to find out. So what you're saying is if 84%, according to Kraft, 84% of people, let's just say, let's say they throw in a CGM, they might see favorable levels of postprandial glucose, but it's overcompensating. Over time, they're still getting insulin resistance. Except because of excessive insulin pumping out of the pancreas, keeping the glucose looking semi-close to normal or in normal range. I can't emphasize enough that the the preeminent disaster maker in our human bodies and in our health is not sugar. It's insulin. It's hyperinsulin. It's insulin resistance causes metabolic syndrome. Remember, they're all three of the same terms. They're interchangeable. So it's not hyper sugar. It's not hyperglycemia, right? It's hyperinsulin. It's the because remember all the whole time like during this is a Whitehall test for 14 years, the 38,000, 36,000 people that he studied, that were still getting sick. They were coming down with diabetes. They were becoming obese. They had anxiety, depression, they had PCOS, they had erectile dysfunction, but their sugars were normal. Hello, 
So who's causing the disaster? Wait, it's the hyperinsulin. Again, that's why somebody should write a book. <laughs> insulin. Somebody should get a hold of this guy because it's just not fair. Again, I'm checking car tile pressure and saying you're, it's fine because that's your sugar, but your engine is shot. You can't drive another mile in it because your engine is, is, is kaput. Makes so much sense, Doc. It makes so much sense. What are your thoughts on looking at C-peptide as well as a blood metric? When I did, listen to this, you're jumping down a rabbit hole now, Ben, and I'm glad you went there because I wasn't going to go there. But since you said that, <laughs> here we go. Because I want to know fructose, right? I was real curious about fructose that it doesn't need insulin to get into the cell, any cell. I thought, wow, that's either really uh, awesome and, and interesting or it's a big fat lie. So let's go ahead and do a fructose tolerance test. So I looked up on Amazon, it's my first go-to place, and I looked up and I said, okay, there's crystalline fructose, but I always do a little bit deeper. Where's that fructose coming from? Turns out it's coming from corn oil. Corn oil is a polysaccharide, and fructose is a monosaccharide, and it's a hexose. And this fructose is a pentose coming from corn oil. So it's not true fructose. And again, so you, they had to cleave it. They had to put sulfuric acid with it, high pressure and high heat. And I always tell people, if I was to throw sulfuric acid on your face and put you in a boiler and a pressure cooker and leave you there for a few hours and come back, you wouldn't look the same either. So the deal is that's not fructose. So I looked all around. Everywhere I looked, it was coming from corn oil. And I'm not talking about high fructose corn oil. That's a whole nother disastrous animal. I'm talking about just corn oil that they were cleaving to get the fructose, the crisp, quote unquote, pure fructose. And these are where all our tests are coming from, right? All our studies that cause fructose, causes fatty liver, blah, blah, blah. It's like, this is not even sugar from fruit, which is the true fructose. So anyways, I went to LabCorp with a thousand grams of a watermelon because I like watermelon, it's very high in fructose. So it was like 40, 45 grams of fructose, 15 grams of glucose, because every fruit still has a little glucose, you can't get rid of it all, of course there's no yeah. fructose fruit. So the point is, I'm sitting there, and I'm waiting to take the test, and she goes, you know, what's that in your hand? And I said, well, I'm gonna do a fructose tolerance test. She said, oh, well, we have some fructose here. So I said, but no, ma'am, it's not the same fructose. And she said, well, then, well, let me find the code for it anyways. So she goes into the system to find the fructose tolerance test with insulin and C-peptide. And the reason why you're asking about C-peptide, because C-peptide is a connective peptide that holds the isomer, the, the fructose, the amino acids of uh, insulin rather together. And it's not destroyed in the first pass of the liver like insulin is. And so that's why C-peptide is more effective to find out where your, whether your insulin is where, where it is. And so I was going to do both, but they did not have one code for fructose tolerance with insulin, or fructose tolerance with C-peptide. So I was like, wow, is, what is this going on here? Is this some kind of conspiracy or something that we're into? Because why don't we know? Why, why isn't there pure crystalline fructose? Why can't we test this for fruit and see if it doesn't need insulin? Because you know the ramifications of that for any diabetic, hello, if I don't need insulin and my insulin's refractory, it's just not working or it's ineffective or whatever, I don't, I'm not producing enough or it's pro-insulin, it's only 5% effective, it's not matured, it hasn't been cleaved off. So my point is, Ben, wow. So I went home and my office manager is a phlebotomist. So, um, you know, I, I borrowed some because I'm not in clinic anymore. I sold my building, but I have a friend that is. So he gave me the spinner and he gave me all the, the hookups, the butterflies and everything. And and she stuck me and we did it. And the, we did it twice because, you know, a good science experiment's got to be repeated. So the first time we did it, it was interesting. It was on the high end, um, 
insulin was 24, which is right at the high end of insulin, and C-peptide was right at the high end of itself. And I said, well, you know, I know that it's preferred, it's preferential fuel. So when fructose comes in, glucose leaves, it gets displaced. That's why initially when diabetics start going on fruit, well, it's too much sugar. It's not too much sugar. Your second team is getting booted off the field and told to be sit down on the bench. You're no longer playing the games. So that's why you get displaced and you get a little sugar dysregulation at, for about two, three weeks until it regulates. So anyway, so, so that's what's happening. So I waited four weeks and then I redid the test again. Only this time I stopped in the middle of the test. Because the whole time, by the way, I'm wearing a continuous glucose monitor because right? I know that I don't have compensatory hyperinsulinemia, right? So I'm seeing that, and, and my glucose, at that time, it went to 125 the first time I did the test. 125. How much, how much watermelon did you have? A uh, thousand grams. A thousand grams every time? Yep, a thousand grams every okay. time. Okay, so I ate it again. I took the, We took the baseline, ate it, waited took the first reading and it was, uh, my sugar was 177, right? Wow. 177. So I stopped it right then because there's no way that insulin is not coming out at 177. I mean, it's coming out a lot at 177. Yeah. So we just stopped the test. And then I, I started thinking, what is going on? And I, and I, I happened to look at a picture of a ancient watermelon fruit before it was, hello, crossbred and hybridized. And oh my gosh, there was only a little bit of red in the little watermelon, all this core, like all running. What's the core? It's fiber. Oh, so that's why every time you see sugar in nature, it comes with a lot of, if there's a lot of sugar, there's a lot of fiber. Sugar cane itself, if you ever bit it, you would break it too, right? Because there's so much fiber running through the cane before it's processed. So I thought, man, this hybridization and crossbreeding has led, in watermelon's case anywhere, to the lack of fiber. So the fructose, not the fructose, the glucose is still so high that it's just shooting through the roof. So we have to mitigate that with fiber. You know, I, I, now when I eat watermelon, I eat the melon alone or leave it alone because it's so hydrating. And again, it's so alkalizing and it's so watery that it dilutes your hydrochloric acid. That's why you don't want to eat anything else besides melons. And so I take fiber. And by the way, I don't know if this is a good time or not, but can we pop up? This is, I'm so proud of this fiber. This is the latest, greatest fiber we just came up with. It's called Super Fiber. It's insoluble, soluble fiber, which mitigates insulin just like that. Also has gymnase silvestre for sugar cravings. And because people are such poor methylators, uh, by the, the dopamine reward cascade just keeps going off too quickly, too chronically. And because they're, they're, we're poor methylated, methylation is one of the pathways that reuptakes is part of the homeostatic reuptake of dopamine to keep it in balance. And so I, we added something, again, everything's natural, 100% in here, to help that dopamine, that food addiction, sugar cravings, uh, berberine in the form of golden seal. A lot of people don't realize that 80% of golden seal is made out of berberine. The reason why I don't use single molecules or chemistry, I call it isolating chemistry, is because 90% of the time your body, basically your microbiome, produces a lot of these neurotransmitters or enzymes or vitamins or minerals or whatever it is, and then you shut down production if you take it on the outside. So we use herbs and glandulars because they're adaptogens. They're like a smorgasbord that's just sitting there waiting for your body to pick and choose when it wants. That's the other thing. If it's not the time, if you take 500 milligrams of vitamin C at six o'clock, maybe it needs it at eight not at six, 
right? And there's also duality. When you I talked about vitamin C, so if you see vitamin C in nature, it's never by itself because vitamin C is ascorbic acid. You always need zinc, selenium, manganese. You need these, these oppositions to catalyze the vitamin C to make it readily uptakeable and not an irritant to the body. With that in mind, you know, we always use, we try, now we're always focused on herbs and, and glandulars to get the body back into homeostasis, which is, of course, the ultimate goal of any human body. That's right. I love it. No, I'm all for giving the body the building blocks to do what it needs to do. So you're, you're a big fan of fat, fiber, and fasting. Uh, those are the three Fs that you utilize with your program. Hey, Keto Camper, there's something that I do every single day to supercharge my mitochondria to help with inflammation and soreness from a workout, and that is the use of red light therapy. This is called photobiomodulation, and there's a ton of research that shows the benefits of near-infrared and red light therapy. The red light therapy that I use is from Bon Charge. I simply use it 10 to 20 minutes per day. It has both near-infrared and red light, and every single day when I use this, I feel ready to take on my day. So whether you're dealing with gut pain, joint inflammation, or you want to just supercharge your mitochondria, get your hands on a quality red light therapy device. And I highly recommend the one from Bond Charge. They hooked you all up for being a Keto Camp podcast listener with a 15% off coupon code. All you need to do, check out this product and all the wonderful products they have available is to go to bondcharge.com slash Keto Camp and use the coupon code Keto Camp at checkout to save 15% off your order. We will drop that link and coupon code in the podcast notes. Go check it out. And let's get right back to this episode. What are some of your favorite fats? Um, I, I was watching some of your videos. I know you're a big fan of like avocados, but what are some of your favorite fats for uh, specifically insulin resistance and type 2 diabetes? And then what are your favorite fasting schedules that you like to use with your students for insulin resistance? Wow, great question. Uh, first and foremost, for type 2s, we didn't even get to type 1s yet, but we should because it's exciting. Type yeah, one yeah we'll get to them. Yeah. Right, there's one and a half, too. So uh, type 2s, you got to empty the cell. It's a, it's a capacity issue. So again, what kind of diet doesn't put more, try to put more food, whether it's from fat or not, into the cell? I don't know of one because if I eat anything, it's going to put more energy, try to put more energy into the cell. And it's already full. So we have to empty. So it's intermittent fasting, hands down. So obviously you go to bed. Your last meal is five, six o'clock at night. You don't eat breakfast. You don't break fast because, you know, with breakfast and we start around 12 or one o'clock. I like a five hour window of eating, five hour window of eating. And then uh, the rest in the fastest state to empty the cell. You got to empty that cell uh, in type two so you can get this insulin sensitive again. I love that. So that's like an 18-6 sort of schedule, uh, a 19-5 sort of schedule. I like that. So you're giving yourself enough time of digestion and fasting before bed. You're waking up and allowing your body to empty out the cells, pull fat from the liver in that fasted state. And then between, let's say, 12 and like 5 p.m., you have your eating window. What are some of the fats you like your clients to focus on during that eating window? Avocados, <laughs> avocados, coconuts, and olives, olive oil, anything of that nature, um, any of the good fat, I mean, good fast, good fats. Now, see, I, Ben, you might want to strike this from your thing because we're going to go into proteins just a little bit because, and again, I, I have to give credit where credit is due. Um, my mentor, Robert Morris, wow, what a doctor or teaching. You know, doctor just means um, a teacher in Latin, right? 
So it's, it's, it's not using big words like diffuse idiopathic skeletal hyperostosis concomitant with syringal myocytes. That's why I tell my <laughs> The point is that we, we teach, we're teachers, right? So at the end of the day, the proteins, they say this, I don't want to be a graveyard for dead animal flesh. Okay, just, just me personally. I think and I know that we have to deconstruct these proteins because they're made for the animal. Whether it's a fish, a chicken, a turkey, a cow, uh, their proteins are for them. And I look at it like Lincoln Logs or Legos, where they built up with in their bodies the amino acids to make a home so they can use it for their injured muscles or their DNA or the connective tissue or collagen, whatever you know they need to do. And when we eat their flesh and that, that protein, then that's a complex amino acid or complex Lincoln logs that we have to pull apart one by one, which takes energy, and then restack, which takes energy, back into our what we could use the, our proteins for through their amino acids. And it's secondhand in a way because they where do, where does the animal get their plant based? Right, they eat plants, whatever it is. Right, they're going to eat plants. So and so, why not just go to the plants? One of the, the best form, again, avocados are, you're huge. They have all nine essential amino acids in them. I always want to say quinoa. It's not quinoa. It's quinoa. Quinoa, thank you. <laughs> Subconscious block. But quinoa, right, <laughs> is all nine. And quinoa is a fruit. Quinoa is a fruit. Avocado is a fruit. I, Isn't like, quinoa, I thought quinoa was a grain, no? I know avocado is a fruit. No, no, no. Look it up. It is a fruit. Quinoa is a fruit. Quinoa is a fruit, and avocado is a fruit. Oh, yeah, you're right. It is a fruit. Yeah, I didn't know that. I know avocado. So mm -hmm. are you more plant-based, vegetarian? Like, what, what is your style? Are, I'm, I'm, I'm hearing that you're against eating too much animal protein. So what do you do? Sure, sure. So I am here, – here's another touchy, but hopefully people listen to my words correctly so you don't misinterpret, please. Because I am, I am not an evolutionist, creationist. I believe in God. I know I didn't create my body. And I'm not asking anybody else to believe that as well. I'm just saying that we are 96.7% primate molecules. So from a science perspective, e equals mc squared, right? We can't create matter or destroy it. Only changes shape. So all the molecules that are here have already been here. They're reheated, rehashed leftovers. The creator decided to put the molecules from a primate together, 97%, to make a human. That wasn't my decision. That was their decision. I don't, I'm not saying we evolved from them. I'm saying the molecules that were left around were put together to make a human. And so primates are exclusively frugivores. They're fruititarians unless they're chased out of their tropical forest to make room for the cows <laughs> so they can eat and they get up into the mountains and they eat whatever they have to eat. But the point is they're exclusively fruitarians. And so I believe that our tooth or the way our teeth are structured, if you look at the canines from a carnivore, they're a lot longer, a lot sharper. Their hydrochloric acid is a lot stronger, 1800% stronger. Their intestines are much smaller, about six to eight feet on the average. We have about 38, 40 feet of intestines. So they can process that, those meats in and out. Meats are also highly acidic. Now this is where we're going to get a little biochemistry. So I apologize ahead of time, but all, meat, all meats are nitrogen based. All meats, doesn't matter where it comes from. All foods, and I'll, let me back up and look, let's see if we can break down this simply for people. Whenever we eat something, the, everything we eat breaks down to carbon, hydrogen, and oxygen. 
When we eat fruit, it's carbon, hydrogen, and oxygen. We eat meat, it's carbon, hydrogen, and oxygen. We eat dairy, it's carbon, hydrogen, and oxygen. Vegetable, carbon, hydrogen. Okay, so we eat, we eat, it breaks down to carbon, hydrogen, and oxygen. It gets into our cells. At the level of the mitochondria, which is simply a bacteria, by the way, mitochondria is simply bacteria that have been here long before we were, and uh, they're pretty smart. So the mitochondria are actually like the lungs and the colon, the lungs and the colon, part of the cell. So when the carbon, hydrogen, oxygen gets into the mitochondria, they transfer their energy through a process called oxidation phosphorylation. Oxidation is losing or delivering an electron. It's giving up an electron. Okay, why would it do that? So that it could make ATP, adenosine triphosphate, which is what? A rechargeable battery. So every cell in our body, about 100 trillion, give or take, need adenosine triphosphate. Otherwise, you couldn't see Ben or me. You couldn't hear us, and you couldn't be nodding your head or shaking your head back and forth if it's not making sense. Hopefully it is. But you can be doing any of that because ATP is allowing you to do that. Now, when you use that energy, the ATP downgrades into ADP or AMP, right? Adenosine monophosphate or adenosine diphosphate. And then it recharges through oxidation phosphorylation again back into ATP. And the cycle continues as long as you have fats or you have carbon, hydrogen, or oxygen. Remember, carbon, fats break down to carbon, hydrogen, and oxygen. Everything breaks down to carbon, hydrogen, and oxygen. And then, just like your car burns fuel, you have an exhaust pipe, right? Carbon monoxide, carbon dioxide comes out the pipe. If you eat meat, the exhaust that comes out from making ATP and using ATP, ADP, AMP, right back around again, the exhaust that comes out from that is nitrogen. And nitrogen is a cation. And cations are acidic. So that's where we get the phrase acidic ash. When you eat something or drink something or rub on something or bathe in something that produces acidity, that's what we mean. And so cheese would break down to uh, lactic acid and also sulfur would be a sulfuric ash. So basically you have nitrogen, sulfur, and phosphorus as the three main cations that break down when we eat meats or cheese or processed foods. And so these things, again, leave an acidity or an acidic ash in the body. And remember, acid breaks down the body. It's corrosive. It's toxic. It's hypoxic. It's what happens when you leave a baby's diaper on too long and you pull it back and you see red and you see pink and you see rashy tissue. Why is that? Acids. Because of acids. So it's acid. All right. So then the alkaline side of things would be fruit and vegetables. They would leave an alkaline ash that would be an anion that would be something like calcium, magnesium, uh, potassium or sodium and so I would since there's only two sides of chemistry one destroys and deteriorates the cell and remember our cells are structure function so if you change the shape of the cell you change the function of the cell and the cell is sitting in uh, by the way this is going to break open a couple of things but the lymphatic system is a cholesterol based system so let me just shoot off this real quick because I think this is super important cholesterol is the wrong target 100% the wrong target. Our brains are mostly cholesterol. 100% of our sex hormones are sterols, cholesterol. 100% of our bile is cholesterol. I mean, the list goes on and on. We need cholesterol. We use cholesterol. We are cholesterol beings. 
our 100 trillion cells are diphospholipid membranes. The lipid is cholesterol. It is a saturated fat or monosaturated. So you say you have saturated fat, monounsaturated fat, polyunsaturated. It's the polyunsaturated fats, but not just the polyunsaturated fats that are the problem. It's the esterified, what they call uh, triglycerides, which are polyunsaturated. They, they looked open. They we, we dissected clots. We know they're made out of macrophages, well, white blood cells, because they're first in line of defense. And then we know that they're also made out of PUFAs, polyunsaturated fatty acids. So these things are the toxic things. They're the white visceral fat. That is polyunsaturated esterified cholesterols. It's not from fatty acids. Listen, that's the other thing that people say, well, I'm fat because I eat fat. No, ma'am. No, sir. When you eat good fat first, like coconuts or avocados, they come down again, they enter the stomach, go through the digestion, hopefully correctly without being interrupted with fluid, with drinking, and then they open up the pyloric sphincter, goes down into the duodenum, nine-inch colon, microvilli come up, they pick it up, and down inside the microvilli, inside the duodenum, are what's called chylomicrons. And these chylomicrons pick up the good fat and they shuttle it off to your pancreas to make bile. They shuttle it off to your testes and your ovaries to make those sex hormones. They shuttle it off to your brain to make brain cells. They shuttle it off to any one of the 100 trillion cells that need some new that are cell dividing and they need a new cell wall. This is what they do. Now, if you eat bad fat seed oils, let's go to the seed oils, right? If you're eating a vegetable oil, canola oil, grapeseed oil, sunflower oil, safflower oil, rice oil, any of these seed oils, your body cannot process. So your liver has the lovely job of making them, putting them, toxic Tupperware. Your liver puts it in Tupperware containers, right? And it's called uh, visceral fat. It's called white visceral fat. And that's the fat that's not metabolically active. You go to the gym and you work your butt and you look good, your legs look good, your arms look good, your face look good, but your tummy doesn't go away. Because you, first of all, you got to get fat adapted. You got to get into keto because if, you're, if your insulin's high, you'll never get to the fat. I'm always amused at people that say, you know, I'm low carving it. I'm low. Well, guess what? Carbohydrates have a system for fuel, for burning fuel, for making fuel, and that's glycolysis. So no matter how many low carbs you do, you're not going to burn fat until you get over into keto, your adipocytes, because only when you get in ketosis can you burn fat because those two fuel systems are separate and distinct. They do not cross over. Not now, not ever. So coming back to it then, eating seed oils makes you fat, gives you the fat that you're talking about, not saturated fat. Remember what grandma, I always like, I love this example. Grandma back in the early 80s, right? She was cooking with lard and butter. Grandma, stop. You need to use hydrogenated oil, margarine, and trans fats, Crisco, oil. They're much healthier for you. We should never argue with Grandma. I'll never argue with Grandma. You're, you're never going to win, right? So, grandma no, is always right. <laughs> always right, 100%. So, yes, you, good, you need good, healthy, saturated fats. Your lymphatic system is a cholesterol-based system. Your toilet, how you when your cells go to the bathroom, that's in lymph. That's what's carrying things away, cholesterol, lipoproteins, lipo like little trains that carry toxic Tupperware out of your body and build things if it happens to be a good, a good fat in there. So, yeah, Okay, so uh, lots to unpack there. We agree on a lot of things, but, but the majority of what we, you share totally align with. So here's what my, not, not argument, but my side, right? When we talk about animal protein, I have seen, not just for myself, but for hundreds and hundreds, maybe thousands of students where, where I put them on a carnivore diet for 30 days, 60 days, maybe 90 days max. I, I'm not dogmatic about it, but 
I've seen it transform their health, their labs. I've seen it do it to my labs with inflammation markers. I've done panels, helps with autoimmune. I've seen it done amazing things, primarily because they can't process a lot of these anti-nutrients in plants, like the the quinoa, right? It has these proteins in it, these amino acids, I should say, but some of it is locked by anti-nutrients and there's a lot of oxalates and like spinach and kale and almonds. So a lot of people have trouble processing it. And so when I shift them into a meat-based diet, a variation of a meat-based diet, it transforms their health. So how do you explain that part, the, the carnivore movement? I'm glad you mentioned that. We're in agreement. My 90-day cell phone program, we go carnivore for the first two weeks. Oh, okay. <laughs> to drop everybody in. But here's the thing. It is acid. And if acid wins, you lose right in the end. So we're seeing that we're seeing these people not just for six months, a year, or maybe two years, what happens five years down the road, 10 years, you can't be that acid that long, you will lose that game. There's only two sides of chemistry. One helps alkaline, the other hurts acid meats, meats are acidic, protein is acidic. So we align there. I, I, I don't agree with long term carnivore either. Ben, if I can interject real quick, because your point about the oxalates and the phytic acid and the saponins and the tannins, and all that, to this I say, and this is going to be, people are going to kick themselves in the head when they hear this, but if you drink when you eat, you will not be able to break those down. You will not be able to deal with those. It's inherent in those plants, yes, but it's also inherent in us not to drink when we eat. In fact, our hydration should come from the fruits and the vegetables that we eat because that's H3O2. That's not H2O. And Dr. Gerald Pollack should have won a Nobel Prize for his work with the fourth phase of water, yeah, yeah. right? And that's in fruit water. That's in that's in um, vegetable, vegetable water. Watermelon water, coconut juice, coconut water, you know, cucumber water, 100%. Lesson learned. So that's a big lesson. Don't drink with your meals. When you're at a restaurant, decline the water, decline the drink, don't do it, separate it. Unless you're drinking minutes. something pH of two. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you're probably not. <laughs> no, you'd be, you'd be taking your teeth out. Yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe some apple cider vinegar. That, what's the pH of apple cider vinegar? So about, it's around three. Okay, so that would be, you know, that could help with breaking down fat. Very interesting. Okay, so there's, there's a lot that we agree with. I, the biggest takeaways, I think, from my audience would be, number one, know that you can reverse insulin resistance in type 2 diabetes. It's a lifestyle disease that needs to be treated or reversed, I should say, with lifestyle. We didn't touch upon type 1. Maybe you could give some bullet points for type 1 real quick. Okay. Unless you want, if, if you want to invite me back, I'll be happy to go over type 1, type 1 and a half. Yeah, I, I want to invite, invite you back either way, but I know there's somebody who's type 1 diabetic listening oh, or sure. watching and they're like, okay. they forgot about me. So give them some insights before we do a full podcast on it. Well, wow, absolutely. So type 1s, if, if the islands of Langerhans and the B cells are incapable of creating enough insulin, or if the insulin they're creating is pro-insulin, which is an immature insulin, it's only 5% effective, then they need herbs, they need glandulars, they need to get rid of the interstitial stagnation that caused the breakdown of those cells in the beta cells and the, in the pancreas. And so we call it KIA. I call it for an acronym for short. K stands for kidneys. Kidneys filtration right here. It looks a lot like this. Again, cellular growth. This, if this sits around the islands of Langerhorns in the beta cells, they do not produce enough insulin, the right insulin. I is mitigating the insulin then at that point, fiber, fat, and fasting. Kind of already touched on that. And then the A is alkaline. 
we're asking, we got to get on the alkaline side of chemistry. I always like nature's Skittles, which are the berries, the red raspberries, blackberries, blueberries, um, the astringent fruits like grapefruits and oranges as well for a type one. Again, remembering we want to give that pancreas a rest. So when we don't ask it for anything, then it can rest. Autophagy and apoptosis can start coming in even. So when we ask it to rest, when we go to the fruits, again, fruits, fructose does not need insulin to nutrify the cell, to get nutrition into the cell. It's called non-facilitated infusion, right? Is what it That's great. I love that. KIA, kidneys, insulin, alkaline, alkalinity. You know, I know that there's nothing that shows we could reverse type 1 diabetes yet, but there is uh, Dr. Walter Longo's research on uh, mice being able to get their beta cells back online to produce insulin in type 1 diabetic mice. So maybe there is a chance that in our lifetime there could that could happen for uh, type 1 diabetics. But with that being said, you could still really help out your lifestyle so you don't have to take so much insulin and you could take some breaks off the insulin by following some of the, the steps that you mentioned. Anything else you want to add to that? I do. I want to say that we actually help type ones and type one and a half regain the function of the pancreas. And it's like this, man. If you look at these nails on my fingers, these are brand new from last year. The skin on my my arm here is but right the hair on my head. Stomach cells went in, in digestion, proper digestion, a pH of two, five minutes, they're out. And if they don't get reproduced, we have hydrochloric acid stains on our shirts. So, in fact, the kidneys do reproduce. The, the liver does. Re, you know, 70, you can lose 75% of your liver. It still yeah. does what it's supposed to do and come back. So, yes, cells do, in fact, do reproduce. But, again, you have to get the kidneys, the interstitial stagnation away from those cells, the acidity away so that they can bathe in alkalinity and their structure can come back to normal. And so they can function on normal again. So yes, that's that's exactly how it's the the power of fruits. I mean, there's a whole show on that. There's thirteen thousand angstroms per ten units of fruit versus nine for vegetables, about three thousand for meat, and one thousand for dairy. So the, the higher end of energy. Again, we can measure that in ORP, which is oxidation redu reduction potential, a meter, and, and see that there's just more energy in fruit. Anything that grows closest to the sun has the most energy. So we can, in fact, do reproduce new cells all the time. It's just a matter of is there going to be a burnt brick pulled out with a brand new burnt brick put back in or a nice bread brick that's functioning correctly right, when it gets replaced. That makes sense. So did you say you've reversed type 1 diabetes where they're insulin dependent completely you were able to reverse that or have yeah, yeah well time out let me this is the conversation I, I don't like to use the term reverse or cure i like going back to normal right and so okay. if they were ever normal that's the catch if our diabetic patients were ever normal we can get them back there if they weren't normal then we need CRISPR, we need cross-linking collagens we need polypeptides like five amino one mq something to rewrite the dna we don't do that so for example 25 years old, they get diagnosed with type 2 diabetes. They don't do anything about it. It gets so bad that by their 33 years old, now the beta cells are not producing insulin. That person, you could get them back to normal. 100%. Yeah, because they're still making new cells. They're just making new damaged cells. Those cells, if you look at them in a microscope, right, six months later, they're not the same cell, even though they look, they're like, that's damaged. It's still not working. But it's a different cell that's not working and damaged. So that cell can be, in fact, be made new again to function. But again, that's the fluids, the two fluids, and, uh, and the two sides of chemistry, right? You have to. Fascinating. We'll definitely do round two. Um, I have one quick final question that I ask all my guests. That's about a supplement called vitamin G. 
And I call it vitamin G because it's vitamin gratitude. And I'm a big believer in the healing effects of gratitude. My shirt right there, vitamin G. So doc, what are you grateful for? What's your vitamin G today? Oh my gosh. To be here on your podcast, to get, to get in front of you and your listeners who are maybe different, not so different for you, maybe some confirmation for them as well about what you're teaching and what we're trying to get out there with. Just to be able to do what we do, you know, to help people at the end of the day, I believe that's why I'm here is to help to help others. Uh, that's my that's my purpose. I love it, brother. Yeah, well, you're a very smart guy, very knowledgeable, very, very caring guy. I learned so much today and I, I look forward to doing round two. Your book is called The Insulin Thin Diet. You can get it on Amazon. Hold it up for the YouTube viewers right there. There you go. Where is your website if they want to learn more about you, work with you and, and learn more about your programs? Just at a dot com. Okay, so the insulathindiet.com. We'll put that down below, just add a .com. Mike, thank you for coming on the podcast and sharing your knowledge and experience with, with me and the guests today and the listeners today. I appreciate you. We'll do round two. And thank you again, brother. Thank you, Ben. I hope you loved that conversation. I sure did. He is a wealth of information. It's funny, after the conversation was done, we stopped recording and he said, hey, Ben, can I share something without offending you? And I'm like, sure, I won't get offended. I, I don't easily get offended. And he goes, well, you know, we love keto. He loves keto, but he doesn't think you should do keto long-term. And I laughed and I said, I'm with you 100%, Doc. I, he doesn't really know about my uh, Keto Flex book. So I, I explained that I wrote a book all about that. So we kind of laughed and we're on the same page there. And it's funny because we're all, we are on the same page. We, we don't want to be dogmatic or do anything long-term. I really believe in the variation of things. But anyways, if you want to learn more about Dr. Mike Grego and his supplements, his courses, his books, check out the link down below. He also has a great podcast. His book is called The Insulin Thin Diet, Lazy Way to Lose Weight. We'll drop that link down below. We'll put his YouTube down below. Check him out. Show him some love. Share this episode with a friend for sure. Share it with somebody you know who's diabetic insulin-resistant, metabolic syndrome, high blood pressure. This could change their life. If you want to watch the YouTube interview from today's conversation, that is on youtube.com slash ketocamp. All podcast interviews are on there, video format, and they are greatly edited. Go check them out. Please consider leaving the Keto Camp podcast a rating and review if you haven't done so already. And go get signed up for our free five-day keto virtual event. You don't want to miss it. We start October 2nd. Head over to ketocampchallenge.com. We'll drop a link down below. Thanks so much for spending part of your day with Dr. Mike and myself. I'll see you on the next episode. This podcast is for information purposes only. Statements and views expressed on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Benazadi, disclaim responsibility from any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own. And this podcast does not accept responsibility of statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or non-direct interest in products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.